Hi, I'm Bob Machetta, and I have the privilege of chairing your elder board. The elders appreciate your partnership in prayer as we are in the process of seeking staff members for Cypress Bible Church. The six-week Together We Pray initiative that culminated in the Wednesday evening prayer celebration was providential timing in bringing us all together to seek God's direction for our church. We ask for your continued prayers as we begin the process of selecting the next lead pastor and worship pastor. Today, I will provide an update of where we are in the process with these key positions and our interim plan for preaching assignments. After reviewing the previous search team's process, consulting with the leader of our last lead pastor search and interviewing pastor search firms, we have decided to utilize a third-party firm who has expertise in lead pastor searches. This will expedite the process as their expertise will assist us in identifying and recruiting qualified candidates. They will work with our internal CBC search team who will be comprised of two elders. One of these elders will lead the team a member of the deacon team, a member of the church staff, and five members from the church who will represent a range of ages, genders, and various ministries. CBC search team will have the responsibility of reviewing potential candidates and making recommendations to the elder board for more in-depth interviews. Utilizing an outside search firm will help us identify a pool of qualified candidates that are in line with our values and doctrine in a timely manner. Our goals for January are to have the search team in place, finalize the contract with the search firm, and have the initial meeting with the CBC search team and the third-party search firm we have decided to temporarily suspend our worship pastor search as qualified candidates indicated they would not be able to make a commitment until a lead pastor was hired. As you likely know, we've utilized a third party firm that assists churches when they are in between worship pastors. They provided Josh Stewart with us. We are thankful for God's provision of Josh's leadership and ministry. Josh has recently agreed to extend his services at least through March 27th of 2022. CBC has been blessed with a number of gifted and experienced teachers, including current and former pastors and elders. We do not plan to rely on outside resources to supply our pulpit. John Bukema prepared for our transition by inviting a group of internal teachers to lead us over the next couple of months. This will take us up through the beginning of March and will include former pastor Brian Halila, former elder Jeremy Little, current elder John Perez, current pastors Jonathan Chang, Tony Svensson, and Dave Munsinger. An elder and the executive pastor will oversee the preaching schedule from that point forward until its lead pastor is in place. 
Jonathan Chang will lead our Christmas Eve devotional, and Josh Stewart will lead us in worship. Jeremy Little will preach on December the 26th and January the 2nd, followed by John Perez on January the 9th. Jonathan Chang will begin a six-week series on January the 16th. We are committed to keep you informed on a monthly basis as God guides us through this process. The Elder Board appreciates your continued prayer as we move forward as a church. On behalf of the Elder Board, I wish you all a blessed and Merry Christmas. Hi, I'm Brian Carroll, and I currently have the privilege of leading the CBC staff as executive pastor. As I began to process the information that John and Amy would be leaving CBC, God brought a passage to mind from John 16 and 17, and it's a passage that comes right before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to leave them, and I'm sure they were confused, concerned, and maybe fearful, uncertain about what the future was going to hold. And, but in John 16, Jesus tells his disciples to remember what he had told them about the Father's love, about their mission, about why he had come, and that they were to hold on to those things, because it was, and it was to their benefit and advantage that he was leaving them. He said, after he left them, the Holy Spirit would come, the Holy Spirit would guide them, and they would do greater works than he had done, because he was going to be with the Father. In essence, Jesus was telling them that his ministry would begin to multiply, and we know that it did. I assume it was very difficult for the disciples to accept these words and let go of Jesus. We recognize that it may be a difficult time for some of us as we let go of John and Amy Bukema's ongoing presence here, and specifically, I think, of John's teaching. I know that was very meaningful to so many of us. But I believe these promises are the same ones God would have us hold on to, the ones that Jesus gave to his disciples. The disciples had Jesus' words. The great news is, so do we. The disciples knew what Jesus' mission was. So do we. The disciples had the resources of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide them. So do we. We have the same access and resources the disciples did, and I believe God desires to directly lead and guide us as a church as we continue to seek him in unity and wait until it becomes clear whom God will call as our senior leader at CBC. Let's embrace those resources God has already given us. In the meantime, our staff is focusing on unity and strengthening our ability and commitment to work together to serve Jesus and CBC. We have been planning many things that will bring our staff together in new ways. This includes a full staff retreat in February, weekly chapel times of worship, prayer, and spiritual enrichment, ongoing strategy meetings, and team-building activities. The staff is also partnering with our elders to develop a plan of how we can more effectively impact our own church and the community for Christ. In John 17, Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these, the disciples, is who he's referring to there, only, but also for those who will believe me through their words. That's all of us who are his disciples. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. In that prayer, Jesus prayed that the disciples would be unified, and then he also prayed that the future disciples would be unified, that being us. We believe that's really important, that we as a church be unified, so much that the the staff has decided that this is going to be the year of together. Together we pray, together we uh, grow, together we serve, together we go, um, together we care, and we're going to really focus on the importance of coming together in unity together. May God's grace be apparent to you this Christmas as you worship and celebrate him. Welcome to worship today. Would you stand together with us? We're so glad that you're here. We 
also want to welcome those online. Thank you for joining us today. Let's sing these wonderful Christmas carols. Lift our voice and worship together. Here we go. Angels from the realms of glory, bring your flight o'er all the earth. Ye who sing creation story, now proclaim Messiah's birth. Come and worship. Come and worship. Worship Christ, the
person next to you say, wake up, are you ready? We gotta get going here, go tell it on the mountain now. Would you clap your hands for this? Go tell it on the mountain, over the hills and everywhere. Go tell it on the mountain that Jesus Christ is somebody beside you. Tell them Merry Christmas. Welcome to worship. You can be seated as we continue to turn your attention to the screen as we have the privilege of experiencing baptism this morning. Good uh, morning, everybody. I'm so glad that we get to celebrate today and worship together. And today, part of our worship services, we are celebrating what God has done in the lives of four believers, uh, four of our kids in our children's ministry. Uh, When Jesus left this earth, his instructions were very clear. He said, go into all the world, make disciples, and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, We know it's not the water that saves. 
Everyone that's coming here today to be baptized uh, has already declared their faith in Jesus. And so we are celebrating not only Jesus' birth today, but we are celebrating what he did for us on the cross, uh, his death and his resurrection and the gift of eternal life to all who believe. And so I'm so glad that you get to be here with us today uh, as we celebrate these lives changed by Jesus. So let me go ahead and call up our first candidate. Um, This is Amelia Moncrief. You can cheer for her. Go ahead. Come on in. And so I'm going to ask Amelia two questions first. Amelia, you can stand a little closer to the mic. Um, Don't touch it. Amelia, do you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died for you and has given you eternal life? Do you desire to publicly identify with Jesus through baptism? Awesome. Now go ahead. I'm going to have her read her testimony. There you go. Just like it says in Mark 12, 30 through 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. My favorite Bible, my favorite Bible verse is John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, for that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. I love that verse as well. It just explains exactly what Jesus did for us. Now today, uh, Amelia's father, Russ Moncrief, is going to be baptizing her. All right, Amelia, based on your declaration of faith in Jesus, our Lord, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Our next candidate uh, coming to be baptized today is named Hannah Vela, so come on in. And she has her testimony all uh, laminated and everything, so she's ready to go. So Hannah, I have two questions for you as well. Hannah, do you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ died for you and has given you eternal life? And do you desire to publicly identify with Jesus through baptism? Awesome. Go ahead, and you may stand near the mic and read your testimony. I have learned about God since I was a baby. I started asking my parents about baptism, heaven, and what it means to be a Christian about two years ago. I have learned and believed in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit to build my faith. I believe that God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for my sins and rose again after three days. God created us and he knows what is in our hearts and wants to be with us. After a few months of learning and understanding, I asked my dad to help me pray the prayer of salvation, asking God into my heart. Afterwards, I promised to go more into the person God wants me to be. Every morning, we read a devotional before school, 
and I see that it helps me throughout through my day. Every night we read the Bible before going to sleep. Both of these take a lot of time, but they're worth it. My favorite Bible verse is Deuteronomy 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them. For the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Awesome. I'll take your testimony. And you know what? I think that it's so cool to have these kids reading their testimonies because it shows that God helped them be strong and courageous to stand in front of all these people and share what God has done. So I'm so proud of you, Hannah. Hannah's father, Danny, will be baptizing her today. All right. Hannah, based on your declaration of faith in Jesus our Lord, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me say thanks to, to God right now. God, thank you so much for the way that you have worked in these lives. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the gift of your son that we celebrate at Christmas. We thank you for his death, his resurrection, and the life that he gives to us all. Thank you so much that we can celebrate these lives changed by you through baptism. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Thank you, Pastor Evan. Uh, we're so glad that you are here today, and I wanted you to know that if you are a guest with us, you can simply pull your phone out. There is a QR code. I found this out last week. It's on your pew in the back there. If you'll scan that QR code with your photo app on your phone, it will take you to a website that you can fill out the information and let us know about you being here with us today. But we're so glad that you're here and worshiping with us at Cypress Bible Church. We have a few things we want to tell you about as we continue on in this wonderful season of Christmas. This uh, coming week, I don't know if you know this, it's, it's Christmas Eve, okay? So if you needed to get any of those last minute things done, this is the week to do it. And you have your kids home with you to help you, right? If you have kiddos with all those wonderful Christmas things that you need to get finished before the family arrives or before you go on a little trip there. So. Um, Christmas Eve here at Cypress, we have two services, a 3 p.m. and a 5 p.m. service. We want to invite you to come, and you need to invite some neighbors, some friends, maybe some co-workers. It's going to be a very special service. It's family-friendly, so even if you have a brand-new little baby and they come, we'd love to have them. If, if your kids make noise, that's okay. We're a family, and we can handle it, right? We've all been around. We got it. We wanted to be at church. Amen. There we go. Um, so come, and I even heard between the services, there's going to be some hot beverages served by your staff. And so you can come and enjoy that before and after. It's going to be a real special day. And there's a surprise at the services. I heard it involves kids, but really the whole church gets to participate. So you'll want to make sure and be here for that. Okay, and then the last thing I want to let you know about this morning is we have Brian Halila, one of your very own, is coming to bring the message today. We're very uh, excited to have him preaching for us today. Yes, so grateful that he's uh, stepping in for us and leading today. And this is a just a wonderful time to worship church family. And so I uh, have loved this season of Advent that we've been in and celebrating. And we have a wonderful family. The Guzman family is coming today to lead us in the Advent scripture reading. And the theme this week is on peace. So would you welcome the Guzman family as they come and lead us right now? 
Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Ernie Guzman. I serve as one of the deacons here, and this is my family. We've got Sandra, Ernie, Sarah, and Samantha. This morning, we have the privilege of lighting the second Advent candle of peace. And my children are going to be reading from Luke, uh, a scripture passage that talks about peace. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch of their flock by night. And on an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone, shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born in this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, and will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in a swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Okay, church family, let's, uh, I'm going to pray for us. Lord, we just come to you today to worship and just to just know how awesome you are and to just reflect on the peace it's given us through our wonderful Savior, Jesus. It's been a challenging year for many of us, Lord, personally for our family. We've had loss of family, father, friends. You know, many of our church family have also faced many, many challenges this year. And we just want to cling to that peace, the peace promised of the coming of our wonderful Savior, Jesus. And let us just cling to that peace and just ask for that peace and just know that you're always with us. We pray this in the name of our wonderful, beautiful Savior, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Guzman family. Can we thank the Guzman family for leading us? I was talking to Ernie late, earlier today, and he did, his voice just brings peace, right? Don't you just love that? I'm thankful for the peace that we have in Christ. Church family, let me invite you to stand together with us as we continue to worship. I want to sing about God being with us, Emmanuel. And we want to sing about this with the thought that God's peace rests inside of us. So would you lift this chorus up? Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God Hallowed manger cry. 
God. The Son of God, here born to believe, a crown of thorns would pierce his brow, and we beheld this offering, exalted now, the King of kings, praise God for the Halloween manger ground.
Thank you for coming and being with us. You are God, Emmanuel. We sing about that. We worship you in the fullness of who you are. And thank you for the gift of life that you've given us. And Jesus, we know uh, as we were singing that story that you're gonna come again. And so yes, we do celebrate your birth during this season, but it's a reminder of our greater hope and a hope that brings eternal peace. God, we love you. We're so grateful for your presence here in this place and we worship you. It's in the powerful and strong name of Jesus, we pray, amen. You can be seated. What a joy to sing together, isn't it? It's not lost on me that I stand here today and that two people were not sitting in that pew right there this morning. Uh, We're without a senior pastor. But we're not without a solid and excellent pastoral staff and team. We're not without a group of elders, godly men who will guide us in these next years. And we're not without Emmanuel, God with us, the, the good shepherd. And he will, he will guide us in these uh, months, weeks, let's hope not years, uh, to come. Um, although that's somewhat to be expected in the standard pastoral search. So he will take care of us. He will guide us. Let's pray together as we go to his word. 
Father, we come to you today. We're like birds with open mouths, hungry for truth, nested together to be fed by you. We're like sheep in a flock who need to be led by you. We've kept a holy appointment. We're here today in your presence with one another that you might teach and lead and guide and feed us. And so we open our hearts to receive from you. Thank you for the promise that you meet us here as two, three, 200 are gathered together. You're in our midst. You will stay in our midst. In the name of Jesus, I pray it. Amen. Those who study these things say that America has a, a crisis of fatherlessness. According to the 2020 census, nearly 18.3 million children live in homes without a father present there. Others who study that say that the statistics say that maybe one and every four children uh, lack, and maybe as high as that, lack a father, whether biological or stepdad or adoptive father, living at home. Those of us who enjoyed a stable, engaged father can certainly thank God for that. There are others of us who lived in homes with abusive fathers. And so not merely the presence of a dad in a home makes for a, a healthy atmosphere. Um, the absence of fathers, even worse, the abandonment by fathers has certainly left gaping holes and internal yearnings in more than one generation in our society. I'd like to ask you to, to contemplate this morning. That is, did you ever wonder that Jesus, our Savior, could have grown up without a dad. That Mary, yes, having conceived by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, yet might have had to raise Jesus as a single mom. Most probably in, in dire poverty. Did you ever consider that our Lord and our Master might have been humanly fatherless? We'll look at a passage and some passages actually today that will entertain that very real tension and that very real potential and possibility. Now I know we've just come through Advent month and you've been doing your Advent readings at home, you've been keeping up with scriptures. You're all ready for this as if it were a final exam. Our kids have just come through finals in the school district. Uh, you all know Joseph. Joseph, Jesus' adoptive father, his foster father, the father figure in Jesus' home. But do you really? Let me ask us some questions. What ought we to think about Joseph? What kind of man was he? What kind of father was he? What was the character of the man who would be the father figure in the home with Jesus, with his mother? with all the rest of the children born after him. 
If we can read the lines of Scripture, and I would say we need to read between the lines of Scripture, what picture can we form of this model of manhood who would leave his mark on the human divine Son of God who grew up under his protection, under his care, under his training? Actually, what can we learn from Joseph about the kind of people his son wants us to be? What does Joseph's example teach us? Now, I'm already warning you, I'm going to say a lot of positive things about Joseph. May I submit to you that those positive things are only possible because of Joseph's adopted son. And they can only be true in us if we have engaged with his son, Jesus, by faith because he died for our sins. Nevertheless, the scripture gives us people throughout that we might look to them as our examples. Before we walk together, and I'm not going to advance that slide quite yet if you want to go on back. Uh, I, I am technologically challenged, but I will try to keep us moving. Um, before we do, I, I would like us to, before we walk into that tiny disreputable town of Nazareth in Galilee, let's consider just a few things. First of all, Joseph is often called the forgotten man of Christmas. He does not, in fact, he cannot play any role in the conception of the Messiah. We know that. For that matter, he only finds out about that conception after the fact. We'll talk about that later. Throughout the pre-nativity, the nativity, and the post-nativity narratives, he is mainly reactive to the influences and to the events that surround him. Second, and related to that, it appears that Joseph was a, a quiet man. Apparently, he does not have an outgoing personality. We don't know that for sure. But did you know that in the historic drama of Jesus, the Son of God, coming into this world, Joseph is not given a single line to speak. He doesn't speak. There are no words, nothing around which we can put quotation marks, no direct discourse. More, there's no record in the scripture that he says anything, period. There is no indirect Discourse. That means the scripture might say, and Joseph said this or said something about his son. There's no direct or indirect discourse. I mean, think about this. Zacharias gets to speak. The angel shows up to him. He converses with the angel. Yes, he gets shut down for nine months or so. But when his son John the Baptist is born, he explodes with prophetic utterances. John, uh, Zacharias' wife gets to speak. She talks with Elizabeth in per, or with Mary in person as they meet together. Good night, even their neighbors, Zacharias and Elizabeth, neighbors get to speak and they ask him, well, why are you gonna name him? And, no, 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 he, nobody in your family's named John. And they get to speak, and not just their neighbors, but the people in the region of, of their area, their hill country, the hillbillies of Judea, all got to talk about him and the unusual things that happened around him. Of course, the angels speak, they're messengers from God, they have to. The shepherds talk to each other and say, let's go to Bethlehem and find out what happened here. They get some lines. The magi, the wise men, later on, they come up and they have their line, their one line in scripture. Where is he that is born, king of the Jews? Think of this. The wicked, evil, murderous King Herod 
gets to say, you go to, you go to Bethlehem, you find that baby, and, 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 and when you do, <laughs> oh, come and tell me that I might worship him. He gets a lie. Let's fast forward 12 years. Jesus is a preteen. He gets lost in the capital city at the temple, apparently, eventually. His parents look, him for, for, look for him for three days. Uh, Dad and Mama are frantic. They finally find him in the temple. Joseph and Mary share some words. I mean, Jesus and Mary share some words. And Joseph says nothing. Think about that. Of all the times when a father ought to get to talk to his son, you would think it would be then when he just about lost the son of God. I mean, something like, son, um, like I know you're perfect and all that, but could you give us some notice next time? Nothing. Joseph says nothing. But if I were to ask you, and I am right now, if I were to ask you, what are the very first, the very first words spoken in the New Testament? What would you say? We're going to read them in just a moment. What would you say are the very first spoken words in the New Testament? No takers, ha ha. They are these. Joseph, son of David. Did you hear that? The very first spoken words in the New Testament. The word, Joseph. Friends, I want to submit to you that Joseph may not be, have been given lines in this divine drama, this historic scripture, but his actions spoke so loudly we did not need to hear a word he said. And we're going to learn from him today. He spoke no phrases we have memorized, but he lived a memorable life. There's no reason Joseph should ever be Christmas's forgotten man. Let's read his introduction in the book of Matthew. That's what we have here on the next, next slide. I'm sorry, I was looking at back there. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as followed. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, noticed that betrothal is much stronger than engagement such that Joseph can be called her husband. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. What kind of man was Joseph? What primary male role model would go on to most influence Jesus in his childhood and his growing up years. We're going to see first that Joseph was a righteous man. 
First of all, I'm sorry, he's a chosen man. Notice that word, both in Luke and in Matthew, where he came to Joseph, who was betrothed to a virgin named Mary. Furthermore, in Luke, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. I picture that God the Father and the angels, the Spirit, were watching a romance develop in this little podunk town, Nazareth, and they're waiting. They've caught the little romantic glances that take place between Joseph and Mary. They heard that conversation that Joseph said around the dinner table to his folks. What, what do you think about Mary? Okay, we'll go talk to her parents. And so as they would do in that culture, their parents arranged a marriage. And then they have an official betrothal ceremony. And Joseph and Mary are linked together in an, in an engagement that is far stronger, one that requires an actual divorce to break. It was a legal, binding, family, social contract. And God waited till those two, perhaps both teenagers, most certainly Mary a teenager and Joseph maybe no older than 25. We don't know for sure. But they, he waited for them to come together. They are betrothed to one another. When God's angel talked to Mary, he talked to a Mary who was waiting to be married to Joseph. They were both included. And that's my first point, simply this, that when God sent his son into the world, he selected, he handpicked a couple, a mother and a father to receive him, to love him, to train him. Joseph was not an afterthought. He was included very directly. What's the next thing we notice about him? Joseph was a righteous man. There's, Matthew tells us that. And I'm sorry, and Joseph, being a righteous man, he's a man who arranges his behaviors in, in terms of the law of God. He's a man who wants to treat other people in, in the right way they should be treated because he wants to be in accord with God's ways. When he makes a mistake in the carpenter shop, he's going to fix it because he's a man of his word. He's going to charge fair prices when he leads his family, he's going to lead them in the ways of God. He is a righteous man. In fact, he's not just righteous in this overarching character, but he's righteous in the way he deals with people. But here's the problem. That righteousness leads him to a dilemma. And what is that dilemma? We've read it. Mary is found to be pregnant. The way the scripture writes it, apparently she does not tell him about the visit of the angel, nor does she tell him about the fact that the Holy Spirit has impregnated her and that she is now with child. It says she was found to be pregnant. In other words, the evidence was unmistakable, and then Joseph finds out. Joseph knows the baby's not his. Mary knows the baby is not Joseph's. And yet, the only conclusion Joseph can make is that she's been unfaithful to their betrothal vows. And he is stricken in heart. He cannot marry her now because he is a righteous man. And because he values 
the marriage covenant that God established. To take her to himself in her condition would be to bring guilt upon himself as if he was the father of that child. It would bring deep shame and scorn upon Mary before their marriage and in the, and in the eyes of the villagers around them in their honor and shame Middle Eastern culture. More important and worse, it would be breaking the laws of God. He cannot marry whom he loves. He's a righteous man. In fact, that righteous obedience demands that he do the very thing that in his heart he does not want to do. He must divorce her. But, but, he loves her. He's been anticipating their life together for months. All of his thoughts of her are with affection and deep care. He's got two options. He can in initiate a legal proceeding which would expose Mary to social shaming and condemnation and her family as well. Or he can call together two witnesses and hand Mary a document of divorce in private. And she can try to go away and have the baby and avoid the condemnation and the accusation of Nazareth. That is by no means, that latter is by no means an attractive option to Joseph. He must do the right thing before God, but he loves Mary. He loves her deeply. He cannot bring himself to hurt her even in a private divorce. As hard as it will be for his own soul, if he must divorce her, he will do so in the least painful way for her. The best way he can in this awful dilemma he faces, he resolves to do right by God and God's law, though it kills him. And he will do right by Mary, though she has betrayed him, he thinks. And so he is not only a righteous man in accordance with the law of God, he exhibits this kind and merciful intention despite the deep pain he's going through. What a man he is. Zoom your camera in on his face and watch the crisis of this decision he's encountered. It appears that he's reached this agonizing decision, but he can't bring himself to act on it. He doesn't want to do what he's decided to do. We don't know how many days pass. Yes, he's reached this conclusion, but the execution of it just seems too hard. Can you see him <laughs> in bed tossing and turning? How many nights praying for help? Maybe hoping somehow he will, in fact, fall asleep. And when he wakes up, he'll find out, oh, it was all just a bad dream. <laughs> it's going to be another dream instead. He does not say a word in this but we find out he's not a rash man. You see, he's sleeping on this. He's contemplating. In fact, the scripture says in Matthew 1.20, which we read, but as he considered these things, while he thought and contemplated and mulled it over, he's not rash. He does not fly off the handle. He doesn't act without deliberation, nor I submit to you without prayer. <laughs> he will not act on a heart-rending relationship-breaking, future-shaking decision without running it, 
rerunning it in his mind. Thank God. Thank God he delayed and postponed and paused and prayed. Because friends, I I know you know this, but I'm going to let you in. Something really cool is about to happen. Verse 20 says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, not some other man, from the Holy Spirit. She'll bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Listen to these words, for he will save his people from their sins. Thank God for Jesus, for us, and for the world. So Joseph Joseph gets to do what he really wants to do. He'll take Mary as his wife, but he will do so for purposes far beyond romance and affection, but for earth-shaking, earth-changing, world-changing purposes hatched in the very mind of God from all eternity past. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not. He had no marital, intimate marital relations. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Jesus goes beyond just simply obeying the angel, marrying Mary, and giving him the right name. He abstains from intimate relationships with Mary until that child is born and named. Why? We're not told exactly why. Perhaps to protect himself from any indication that he's the child, the, the father of that child. Perhaps to protect Mary. But certainly he is a dignified and self-controlled man who treats the marriage relationship highly and treats the child within her highly. When God sent his son, he entrusted him to a father whose solid, though he was not perfect, whose solid example would be worth following. uh, Jesus would watch Joseph handle disputes in the carpentry business, respond to Mary when she was concerned, respond to issues that happened in the town of Nazareth. Jesus would watch Joseph Now, I didn't plan to preach on this, but I just want to say Jesus would introduce the world to a name for God that had not been used in all of humanity's relationship with Yahweh God. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, call him Father. (laughs) Call him Father. Jesus' human understanding of fatherhood came from watching this righteous man, Joseph, live every day in their home. So Jesus, uh, Joseph was a righteous man. He was not a rash or or, uh, vengeful man. Notice what else we're going to see. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus as all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed. 
See, Jesus, or Joseph, I'm sorry, we always want to talk about the higher example. Joseph was a, a yielded, obedient man, a man who submitted to God-ordained authority. <laughs> we read those words, and all the world went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up. Of course he did. Joseph obeys the law. Now, let's think about this for, for a minute. Um, if anybody, if anybody could ever go into H&R Block and ask for an, ex an extension to file his taxes, wouldn't it be the father of the Son of God? Can you see him? I'm going to call, see if we can get this put off a bit, Mary. He runs. Hi, this is Caesar Augustus. You've reached the IRS. To pay your taxes, press 1. To ask for an extension, press two. Yeah, um, we're wondering if we can pay these taxes later because my wife's pregnant. Pregnant, yes. Well, yeah, lots of people are pregnant, but this is a different kind of pregnancy. Um, she's going to have the, the, the savior, savior of the world. We're going to Bethlehem, Mary. No, he doesn't do that. Joseph also went up. He obeys God-ordained authority. Now, what I'd like you to notice next, I'm going to read from Luke 2, and I'd like to use you to use your hands, and I want you to count on your hands. Every time I read something about the law of God or a practice that was included in the law of God, you just count up, okay? And we're going to see how many fingers we've got when, when we're done. From Luke 2. So let me get over there. And when eight days were completed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. For as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. And then we're introduced to Simeon, who is hanging out in the temple. And Simeon came in the spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him according to the custom of the law. Now, after that event happens with Simeon and Anna, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. How many fingers do I see? Okay, I got at least five for the law and a few others for the practices that are included in the law. What are we to, what are we to learn from Joseph in that in that? passage. When Joseph raises his family as a newlywed and the parent of an infant onward, he will raise his children by the book. He will lead his family according to scriptures. They will talk about them. They will memorize them. They will do according to the law. That's Joseph, our example. Finally, he's an obedient man in according, according to God's revealed will. Because of time, I'm not going to read them all, but every time an angel appears to Joseph in a dream, and I actually begin wondering if he wanted to start taking no dose, because you know he'd rather not fall asleep because every time he sleeps, an angel shows up and, and there's hard news. Good news sometimes, but hard news at others. It says in the first chapter that we read, and Joseph did as the angel commanded him. He took Mary as wife. That's what the angel said. He named Jesus Jesus. That's what the angel said. Then, 
after, after this passage we just read where they presented him in the temple, they go back to Bethlehem. They're there. Sometime later, the, the Magi show up, and they leave. And after they leave, an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says, get up, take the child, and flee to Egypt. Remain there till I tell you. And then it says, and Joseph got up in the night. He took the child and his mother. He went to Egypt, and he remained there. Then later on it says, now Herod died. And an angel appears to Joseph in a dream and says, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. And the scriptures say in very direct words, and Joseph got up, he took the child and his mother, and he went to the land of Israel. Finds out that Herod's son is no better than his father, reigning there in the area of Bethlehem in Judea. And so they go back to hometown, to Nazareth. All the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem, to Jerusalem in the temple, back to Bethlehem, down to the Nile in Egypt, and back to Nazareth. Joseph obeys as he is told by the angel. He is an absolutely obedient man. I have to hold Joseph up as a mirror and look at my, look at my face in there and say, Brian. And I say, y'all, when God speaks, do you obey without question? That is what Joseph did. And that's the example Jesus watched for all of his life. John Stott says, greatness in the kingdom of God is measured in terms of obedience. In defense of Joseph, I want to say words are overrated. It's my stock in trade. Blah, 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 blah. I talk a lot. God's looking at my heart and saying, are you obeying? That's what Joseph did. To the extent that we admire Joseph, we love the son he raised because Jesus lived the perfect life, died the perfect death, and he took our sins upon himself that we could seek to follow Jesus' example and to the extent that Joseph followed it, that we follow Joseph's example. That is who we find. Like son, <laughs> Jesus like father. That is the man, the forgotten man, the silent man, the righteous man, the obedient man of the nativity, the man to whom God entrusted his son to be raised. Okay. So the last of the Christmas decorations just have to finish up this stable, this scene here. Okay, let's see. We've got a wise man and Mary and, of course, the baby Jesus and Joseph. Let's see. Joseph. <laughs> Who put Joseph in the back of the stable? Who dressed him in brown and gave him a staff and told him to stand in the back of the creche? background to the magnificent light of the Madonna. God chosen. This man Joseph was faithful in spite of the gossip of Nazareth, in spite of the dangers from Herod. This man Joseph listened to angels and it was he who named the child Emmanuel. Is this a man to be stuck for centuries in the back of the stable? Actually, Joseph probably stood in the doorway 
guarding the mother and child or greeting shepherds and kings. (laughs) And when he wasn't in the doorway, he was probably urging Mary to get some rest, covering her gently with his cloak, assuring her that he would watch the child. In fact, he probably picked the child up in his strong arms and walked him in the night, patting him lovingly until he closed his eyes. This Christmas, let us give thanks for this man of incredible faith into whose care God placed the Christ child. As a gesture of gratitude, let's put Joseph in the front of the stable where he can guard and greet and cast the occasional glance at this child who brought us life. How can it be this baby in my arms Sleeping now so peacefully The Son of God, the angel said How could it be? Lord, I know He's not my own, not of my flesh, not of my bone. Still, Father, let this baby be the son of my love. Father, show me how I fit into this plan of yours. How can a man be father to the Son of God? Lord, for all my life I've been a simple carpenter. How can I raise a king? How can I raise a king? He looks so small, those tiny hands, his mother's hair. But when he spoke, all the galaxies appeared. The mountains rose, creatures filled the earth and air. How could it be? Father, show me how I fit into this plan of yours. How can a man be father to the Son of God? Lord, for all my life I've only been a carpenter. How can I raise a king? How can I raise a king? How could it be? This baby in my arms, sleeping now so peacefully, the Son of God, the angel said, how could it be? pray.
Father, to the extent that Joseph lived according to the example, the greater, the higher, the holy example of his son, Jesus. Help us to live like him and follow Jesus too. In the high name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I and the elders invite you to sit and meditate a bit. And in three minutes, an important announcement from the elders and staff will be displayed on the screens. I'm Bob Machetta, and I have the privilege of chairing your elder board. The elders appreciate your partnership in prayer as we are in the process of seeking staff members for Cypress Bible Church. The six-week Together We Pray initiative that culminated in the Wednesday evening prayer celebration was providential timing in bringing us all together to seek God's direction for our church. We ask for your continued prayers as we begin the process of selecting 
the next lead pastor and worship pastor. Today, I will provide an update of where we are in the process with these key positions and our interim plan for preaching assignments. After reviewing the previous search team's process, consulting with the leader of our last lead pastor search, and interviewing pastor search firms, we have decided to utilize a third-party firm who has expertise in lead pastor searches. This will expedite the process as their expertise will assist us in identifying and recruiting qualified candidates. They will work with our internal CBC search team who will be comprised of two elders. One of these elders will lead the team, a member of the deacon team, a member of the church staff, and five members from the church who will represent a range of ages, genders, and various ministries. CBC search team will have the responsibility of reviewing potential candidates and making recommendations to the elder board for more in-depth interviews. Utilizing an outside search firm will help us identify a pool of qualified candidates that are in line with our values and doctrine in a timely manner. Our goals for January are to have the search team in place, finalize the contract with the search firm, and have the initial meeting with the CBC search team and the third-party search firm. We have decided to temporarily suspend our worship pastor search as qualified candidates indicated they would not be able to make a commitment until a lead pastor was hired. As you likely know, we've utilized a third-party firm that assists churches when they are in between worship pastors. They provided Josh Stewart with us. We are thankful for God's provision of Josh's leadership and ministry. Josh has recently agreed to extend his services at least through March 27th of 2022. CBC has been blessed with a number of gifted and experienced teachers, including current and former pastors and elders. We do not plan to rely on outside resources to supply our pulpit. John Bukema prepared for our transition by inviting a group of internal teachers to lead us over the next couple of months. This will take us up through the beginning of March and will include former pastor Brian Halila, former elder Jeremy Little, current elder John Perez, current pastors Jonathan Chang, Tony Svensson, and Dave Munsinger. An elder and the executive pastor will oversee the preaching schedule from that point forward until its lead pastor is in place. Jonathan Chain will lead our Christmas Eve devotional, and Josh Stewart will lead us in worship. Jeremy Little will preach on December the 26th and January the 2nd, followed by John Perez on January the 9th. Jonathan Chang will begin a six-week series on January the 16th. We are committed to keep you informed on a monthly basis as God guides us through this process. 
the elder board appreciates your continued prayer as we move forward as a church. On behalf of the elder board, I wish you all a blessed and Merry Christmas. Hi, I'm Brian Carroll, and I currently have the privilege of leading the CBC staff as executive pastor. As I began to process the information that John and Amy would be leaving CBC, God brought a passage to mind from John 16 and 17, and it's a passage that comes right before Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. Jesus was telling his disciples that he was going to leave them, and I'm sure they were confused, concerned, and maybe fearful, uncertain about what the future was going to hold. But in John 16, Jesus tells his disciples to remember what he had told them about the Father's love, about their mission, about why he had come, and that they were to hold on to those things, because it was, and it was to their benefit and advantage that he was leaving them. He said, after he left them, the Holy Spirit would come, the Holy Spirit would guide them, and they would do greater works than he had done, because he was going to be with the Father. In essence, Jesus was telling them that his ministry would begin to multiply, and we know that it did. I assume it was very difficult for the disciples to accept these words and let go of Jesus. We recognize that it may be a difficult time for some of us as we let go of John and Amy Bukema's ongoing presence here, and specifically, I think, of John's teaching. I know that was very meaningful to so many of us. But I believe these promises are the same ones God would have us hold on to, the ones that Jesus gave to his disciples. The disciples had Jesus' words. The great news is, so do we. The disciples knew what Jesus' mission was. So do we. The disciples had the resources of the Holy Spirit to lead and guide them. So do we. We have the same access and resources the disciples did, and I believe God desires to directly lead and guide us as a church as we continue to seek him in unity and wait until it becomes clear whom God will call as our senior leader at CBC. Let's embrace those resources God has already given us. In the meantime, our staff is focusing on unity and strengthening our ability and commitment to work together to serve Jesus and CBC. We have been planning many things that will bring our staff together in new ways. This includes a full staff retreat in February, weekly chapel times of worship, prayer, and spiritual enrichment, ongoing strategy meetings, and team-building activities. The staff is also partnering with our elders to develop a plan of how we can more effectively impact our own church and the community for Christ. In John 17, Jesus prayed, I do not ask for these, the disciples, is who he's referring to there, only, but also for those who will believe me through their words. That's all of us who are his disciples. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me. That they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you have loved me. In that prayer, Jesus prayed that the disciples would be unified, and then he also prayed that the future disciples would be unified, that being us. We believe that's really important, that we as a church be unified, so much that the the staff has decided that this is going to be the year of together. Together we pray, together we uh, grow, together we serve, together we go, um, together we care, and we're going to really focus on the importance of coming together in unity together. May God's grace be apparent to you this Christmas as you worship and celebrate him.